Well, that was fun, wasn't it? A little different, a little different start to the morning. Um, I apologize if I don't get you out by 11.30, but we started late, so don't hold it against me. Um, blame technology for that. Um, hey, I'll have you at Skyline at noon, okay? Hey, we can, or Taco Bell, that's a new option now. Go to Taco Bell. Both of them do the same thing to your body. Hey, we're glad you're here. No, it's true, okay? Don't worry about it. We've been in this series, that's a great question. And we've been looking at the questions that Jesus asked people throughout the Gospels. Questions are powerful. Questions, they reveal motives, they reveal priorities. Now, we live in a very different time now. We can search for the answers to many of our questions, right? There's this thing on the internet, I don't know if you've ever used it, it's called Google. It's really popular. Um, you can put any question you want in there and you'll get an answer. And that might not be the best answer, but you're going to get something. And Google has this feature, you may you know about this, it's called autofill. And so when you start asking a question in Google, you start typing questions in Google, it will actually start to suggest what your question is going to be based upon what you've searched for in the past or popular things that are happening. So, so maybe you're watching online today or, or you try this out at some point, okay? Try this out on your phone or on your computer. Type in, how do you, and get this autofill, right? Because here's what I got when I did that. I got, how do you play Wordle? That's a pretty popular one. Who plays Wordle in here? Yeah, I did it for like two days and I got bored because it made me wait and I don't like to wait. How do you take a, now you don't have to wait apparently, but okay. How do you take a screenshot? That was one of them. How do you pronounce, and I couldn't pronounce the word that it asked. Um, how do you find the area of a circle? That was a really math, math question there. How do you get pink eye? I was on there. Hey, I just want to share a little information about my family with you. We all just had pink eye. Yeah, that's fun. That's what kids give you. You gotta love them. It all started with our youngest five-year-old Isaac. He brought it. He was the rhesus monkey from Outbreak in our house. He was like, "Hey, look what I got!" Poke, poke. Like um, he was the carrier, right? And so slowly but surely, it got every single one of us. Listen. Pam and I were diligent about washing our hands, right, and like cleaning places that Isaac had been. We get, that little booger infested all of us, right? And kids, right, when they get pink eye, it's like, hey, I got it one day, and the next day I look good. Like, Pam and I looked like we had something wrong with us for days. Like, it was, what is going on? But it was inevitable, right? Honestly, when you do the Google search, how do you get... Um, a lot of medical questions come up there. We're a very hypochondriac society, so you'll see that if you do this little test. We've been sharing, though, we shared this in a couple of the other messages, kids ask a lot of questions, right? But as adults, most of our questions, they go to the internet. We go to Google. We don't ask a lot of questions as adults. Questions are how we learn, right? Questions are how we grow, and in this series, we've been looking, like I said, at those questions that Jesus asked. That are, we're trying to see the truths that Jesus is pointing us to that we need for our lives. And so today, we're going to look at the question that Jesus asked. What good is it? That's the question. What good is it? Now, many of you may have asked this question, what good is it if? And maybe you ask this because you're actually thinking, what good will it do for me? 
and I'm a little hot, I'm sorry. I'm getting a lot of feedback, so I'm, I, this is what happens when you turn stuff off and turn it back on. I'm just hearing myself a lot, and I don't like to hear my own voice. That's not true, I love hearing my own voice. Um, man, nobody laughed at the first part of that. I thought you guys would get that. Man, dang, you guys know I'm vain. Um, we're gonna talk about that, okay? Listen, we ask that because we're asking the question, what good is it for me? What will it do for me? I'm sure you've done this in parts of your life. Like you, here's a question. What good is it if I work out if I don't lose any weight? There's one. What good is it if I get the flu shot if I might still get the flu? What good is it if, to work on my marriage if my spouse is not doing the same? What good is it to be friends with a person, that person, if, if they're not returning the friendship or I don't get anything out of that relationship? What good is it to give my money if people don't know that I give money? What good is it to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus, but to still have pain and frustration and anger in this world and even in the church? It's normal. It's part of our human nature to ask questions like this. We're selfish people. We think about ourselves. We are regularly looking out for our own. I've got kids. You see that in kids really well. It's all about them. They don't know any better. We got to teach them that, right? Yet Jesus, right, is teaching us to reach deeper into our hearts and asking us to look simply, look beyond what's simply good for us or even what we can get or gain. Scripture is going to show us our big idea for today, and that's this. I'm going to say it a few times. Jesus is better. Now, we find this question in Mark, this what good is it question in Mark chapter 8. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to turn with me to chapter 8 of Mark. And it's, listen, if this morning your question is, how do I get a Bible? Don't Google that, okay? Go to our hub. That's how you can get a Bible. We've got Bibles available for you. We will give them to you as a gift. We want you to have a Bible. So go take a look at that. But to give you a little context of what we've just witnessed here before this passage we're going to go into... What we're seeing before this is that Jesus is performing a lot of miracles, right? And particularly, um, he's just fed the 5,000, which is, if you're a follower, if you read the Bible, maybe you know this story. If you don't, that's okay. Listen, Jesus fed 5,000, probably more, they say maybe even double that, of people with just a few fish and some loaves of bread. It's, a mir- it's an amazing thing what he does. There's some left over, right? And so he's, he's going around, he's healing people, and the disciples are seeing all of this. They're, they're with him. And so then, in the next part of it, Peter, one of the disciples, declares that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, the Son of God, right? And actually, if you were here with us a few weeks ago, or here at the very beginning of, the, of this series, we talked about that, about how Jesus, Peter declared Jesus the Messiah when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And so Peter's acknowledged the sovereignty, the authority of Jesus. And then Jesus then tells the disciples that he is going to die, that he's going to have to face his death. And, and of course, Peter is shocked. Look at this interaction that he has picking up here in verse 32. He's, he, and that's Jesus it's talking about, spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. 
You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this is interesting because remember what I just said. Peter has just before this, maybe just moments before, sometime before this, has just been given this divine view of Jesus, right, from God, right? That he sees that he is the Son of God. And now Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. So the same guy that he's just honored, who Jesus said, hey, you, you, were, you got it, man. You, you understand who I am. He's now like rebuking him. It seems a little harsh. Because Peter doesn't, to me, Peter really didn't seem that wrong to ask this. Because look at the situation that he's in. He, he loves Jesus. He's seen Jesus do amazing things. He is experiencing all this, and he's upset that Jesus is saying, hey, I've got to die. He resists this idea that Jesus had to die. I mean, wouldn't you do the same? I mean, how often have we had a loved one who's been given a death sentence, right, from cancer or some disease? And we struggle with that, we, and they die, or they die suddenly, and we can't believe that, that we would lose someone who was so young or someone so close to us, and we, that they were gone. We deny this idea, right? The pain is hard, and then you may have had experienced this in your life for that person to say, hey, you know what? I accept my fate. This is the end. What do we always say? We say, fight. No, you can fight this. You can beat this. We, 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 we want to fight against that idea. And so you would react the same way Peter did. You would say, no way. Don't let this happen, Jesus. This wasn't good news to Peter. This was bad. And Jesus says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus is aware that as human beings, we get caught up in selfish things. We think about ourselves. I'm sure in this moment, Peter was really confused why Jesus would say that. Why was he saying that? I mean, I would imagine he's thinking, why is it a bad thing that I want you here, that I want you with me? You're the Savior, the Messiah. That doesn't seem like I'm focused on the world. I'm focused on what God wants, right? But here's the catch. Peter didn't know the whole story. He couldn't see the things that God can see. Peter was focused on his needs. He didn't want his friend, his mentor. He didn't want this savior. He didn't want him to go. He wanted him to stay right there with him. He didn't want to let go. He didn't want to have to give up someone and something so important to him. Jesus is about to reveal to Peter, and as a result through that, ultimately all of us, why that way of thinking is flawed. Jesus is better. You see, this is, sounds strange, okay? This, this is going to sound strange, but you can gain and lose at the same time. It's, it's a weird thing to think about. I mean, it's counterintuitive to what culture tells us. Culture tells us that we have to gain. We must gain we need more friends, more money, more love, more respect, more power. That's what it says. We're told that the only way to be successful is to get more things that we want. We, we don't want to lose. I know we tell our kids this in sports all the time, right? You know the phrase I'm going to say to you here. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game, right? Right? 
You've said that to your kids. You, I know, you're like, what? You can't say that? It's true. Because losing doesn't feel good. Because you know why? History and the world favors winners. That's the reality. This year we love the Bengals. Why? They won more games than they've probably won in who knows how long. Right? They went further than they've gone in a lot of our lifetimes. We hate the Reds' management. Why? <laughs> right? If the Reds were winning, we wouldn't have a problem with them. They're winning this week, so maybe who knows? We don't like to lose. Culture will say, listen, if you want something, you need to be successful. You need to have more happiness. You need to be more in love. But Jesus says, what good is it? Culture and our pursuits, they are not on equal footing with the gospel and Jesus. They don't go hand in hand. Look at this next section of Scripture just to get an idea here. It says, Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, it's interesting, we see this phrase, take up your cross, right? And we have modified this to a more of a phrase that's like my cross to bear. You've probably heard that phrase when we talk about, hey, this is the cross I have to bear during a hard season of my life or a person in your life that's really difficult to deal with. Like, this is just the cross I have to bear. And so we, we've adjusted that phrase, take up your cross, a little bit to mean that. But this is not what Jesus meant, uh, so I, I want to set the record straight. What Jesus is saying is that if you follow me, it may cost you your life. See, in those times, a cross was an instrument of death. And not only was it a way to die, it was probably the, one of the most horrific and extended deaths that you could experience. It was reserved for slaves. It was reserved for murderers, for some of the lowest caste people in this world. That's who they gave this to. It was not a noble way to die. It was not reserved for kings. And even more, to have to actually carry the actual instrument of your death was a slap in the face of the person about to die. Hey, we're not only going to kill you. You got to carry it. I mean, these disciples, they knew what this meant. To them, see, we have a different view of the cross, right? We see the cross as an image, as a reminder of our salvation, of our, of our freedom, right? They didn't see it that way. They saw it exactly what it was, as a tool for death. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from the truth, and he wants us to know that discipleship has a cost. Following him has a cost. This is why he said what he just said to Peter. Peter was looking for another way, right? Other parts of, of, of the Gospels that would tell the same story talk about Peter saying, you don't have to do this. Look for another way. Surely there must be another way. Don't you think God would have given another way if there was one? This idea of another way, though, like this is the philosophy of hell. It is the easy way, right? The easy path. 
escape the cross. The philosophy of hell is to encourage you to escape the cross. But the cross is important for our salvation. Satan is saying, don't take the cross. Take the easy path. Indulge yourself. Live for this world. And then look what Jesus, look what Jesus asks in this next part, picking up in verse 36. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus is saying, what good is it to gain this whole world yet forfeit your soul? So the world's going to tell you that happiness, that comes from lots of different things. It comes from money. It comes from success. It comes from sex and romance and kids and career and education. It's going to tell you these things. And these are not bad things, okay? But we have to understand that these are not the things that will bring us into relationship with God. Jesus is saying there is nothing Nothing in this world that can buy your soul. Ironically, and, and this is the catch to it all when we talk about losing to gain, the only way to save your soul is to lose it and to lose it to Jesus, to give it to him. Jesus said, whoever loses his, loves his life, right, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That life of success and fame and pride and wealth, these pleasures that the world tells us is important, we've got to give those up to serve him. And so we do this by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. That's important. There's no other way to be fruitful unless we, get, we let go of the, our way of doing things and we start to follow the way Jesus wants us to do it, the way that God has placed before us. Jesus is better. This is the, how Jesus is answering the question, what it means to take up your cross, right? He's saying that if you cling to this life so much that you cannot bear the idea of death, then you will lose your eternal life. However, if you're willing to sacrifice this life, then you will attain something far more powerful and rewarding. We need to give up the things of this world that we're told that we think are important, that we're told that will make us happy. What are those things? Are money and power? I talked about them. Prestige, right? Respect. Friends. Sometimes you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family over this. I'm selling a really good deal here for you. A lot of you are probably sitting here thinking, why in the world would I want to do this? And that's understandable, because it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like I want to do this, but Jesus said, listen, whoever finds his life in this world will lose it. We'll lose our eternal reward if we focus too much on finding acceptance from people around us, if we focus on getting more money, right? If we focus on indulging our desires, Jesus calls for us to sacrifice those things or sacrifice our lives in a way that means we're not afraid to be shunned. We're not afraid to be hated. We're not afraid to maybe even be killed because of our commitment. 
Taking up our cross means we are willingly accepting that life will not be easy, but we are ready to live that faith out anyway. He's saying this is the cost of being a disciple. To follow him means to die to our own agenda. And we've got a lot of those, got a lot of agendas. We've got social agendas, these social activism things that we think those are what's going to get us happiness and joy. And, and we're going to push for those things because that has to be done. We've got a lot of political agendas, right? We have political parties that we say, yeah, if I'm that and you're that, then we can't get along or you better believe my way of doing it. We got even spiritual agendas, right? People believe that there is a certain way and a way to act in church or, or to follow these rules or to do those things. And that's how you do it. This is the way. And Jesus is saying, none of that is the way. It doesn't. None of it matters. You can't gain anything in this world to save your soul. See, this is an all or nothing thing with Jesus. You're either all in or you're out. So whether you're here today, maybe you're listening online later in the week, maybe you've decided to listen to this, whatever it is, we don't get this idea in America, right? We, don't, we struggle with this idea in America. For hundreds of years, we have experienced, we've been blessed to have a faith without a fear of death. Now there's hatred and there's persecution. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that there are people that don't like us for our beliefs, okay? But not to the degree that our Christian brothers and sisters around the world feel. Not like in China where Christians meet in secret for fear of being caught. Not like in Africa or the Middle East where other religions murder Christians for their beliefs. Not like in Ukraine where a regime is moving in trying to destroy all Christianity in that area. We say, you know, I love God. I want to follow him, and that's true, but boy, I really don't want to give up my way of life. I want to live the same way I've been doing it. And listen, guys, that's Satan whispering in your ear, spare yourself. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't, don't come to the cross. That's, that's not what you want. Live after your flesh. Indulge yourself. And Jesus is pointing to the cross and saying, there's no answer but the cross. You've got to take your old nature. It has to be dead. It has to be crucified with Christ. You can't live after the flesh anymore. Jesus is better. So what areas of your life make it hard for you to sacrifice? What are they? What makes it hard for you to put other people first? Maybe, maybe it is, there's, makes it hard for you to deny yourself and put other people before you. Listen, there's this rule that had to be made at one point in history. I don't know when it was. It's called this, it's called this. It's called I cut, you pick, okay? Maybe you've never heard of this, but I'm gonna tell you what it is. Maybe you're familiar with it. Let's say there's a piece of cake left at the Coleraine office, okay? And y'all know I'm gonna try to get that piece of cake. I like cake. Right? And, and Kevin Smith, my buddy, my bestie from Colerain, he and I both want that cake. He's going to have to fight me tooth and nail for that cake, okay? But we decide we're going to split it. Now, throughout history, here's the problem. What happens is when somebody cuts that cake in half, they never cut that cake perfectly down the middle. What they do is they cut it, and it's like, that's a little bigger. And then they take, what's happened is that person then takes the bigger piece. Like, I had cut that piece bigger, and now you can have that half. That's what happens, right? And so somebody is left with a smaller piece. 
So what we had to do was you got to create this rule that says, here's what happens. I'm going to cut, but you're going to pick. And that forces someone, whoever's cutting, to say, well, I better make sure this is cut right down the middle or else I'm getting the smaller piece because our nature is we're going to take the bigger piece. That's our natural disposition. We run around, we enjoy the pleasures of this world, right? But the path of discipleship is the path of self-denial. That's what Jesus was talking about in verse 34 when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They gotta come to the end of their goals, their ambitions, their desires, their way, and they've got to take that old life and let it die. And then live a new life with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. That's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to make happen. I would find it hard-pressed to find anyone who is really good, who finds it easy to deny themselves. It takes a lot of discipline. You have to really train yourself to be denied of things. We don't do that. It's not part of our nature. Not just because we sin, right? We do sin. It's because we are sinners, Ever since sin came into this world, it is our natural disposition to sin. To do the things based on earthly pleasures, to go after things like sex and greed and fame and pride, and we forget that we have this eternal life ahead of us. We want our cake, right? And we want the biggest piece, and we want to eat it too. We believe we can be followers of Jesus, but also hang on to the desires we have of this world. There's no benefit. Jesus is telling you there's no benefit in living this way. It's a very short-sighted way of thinking. When you do this, you're regularly comparing yourself to other people. You are never satisfied with your current situation. You've got, you know, you let other people define who you are and you have to get acceptance from other people. You have anxiety. You have fear. And if you choose to live as a follower, Jesus is promising you something. He promises if you live with that and you have the spirit inside, you've got patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and love and so many others, right? That's what Jesus says. He tells you you're going to get the better life with me, a fuller life. And you also get to experience the weight of shame and regret lifted from you. How many of us hold on to those things, right? We don't let it go. And when you live a fully committed life, you get to experience a loss of shame and guilt so that you don't have to hold on to the past. God promises us that when he looks to him that we won't have these issues we have. Now listen, those temptations will still be there. They don't magically go away, but our ability to turn away from them and focus on God becomes stronger. Jesus is better. We say we're followers of Jesus, but oftentimes we go out into the world and we look for other ways to find that fuller life. We think sometimes it's about following rules, right? We think if I follow all these rules and I do all these things, I'll make it in. Don't you think God would have given us another way than to let his son die? We have to lose this world to be able to gain eternal life. See, Jesus set the example for us. He asks us to join him. We're called to follow him just as he does. And Jesus is the purpose of the gospel. That was the purpose of the gospel, to hear the good news of him. It's not about what we, get, we can get from it, 
about from what we get from Jesus. No, it's about taking up our cross and taking up his mission. A mission of love, a mission of sacrifice. Sure, we can cling to comforts, and if we do, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss what he wants for us. Or we can take up our cross and boldly live as Christ taught us. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And here's the thing, we ask that question, what good is it, right? It's, this is the good thing. Love, sacrifice, fearlessness, boldness, these are all good. Leave comfortable and boring behind. Jesus will lead your life. So what's holding you back today? What part of your life are you holding on to that's become the path of least resistance, right? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your need to have the best things or the newest things? Is it this commitment to follow all the rules maybe and, and doing more things? Maybe it's your addictions. Maybe those are the things that are, that are holding you back. What do you need to release for the sake of the good news? What are you clinging to that needs to go? Ask yourself these questions and then think about what, what it is that God is pointing out is standing in the place of him. And then I'm going to challenge you. Talk to somebody about this. I'd, have, I'd love to talk with you. Maybe it's somebody closer to you that you'd like to talk to. Listen, discipleship was never meant to be done alone. It's not a solitary endeavor. I mean, Jesus was the son of God and he still had disciples that went around with him to help encourage him. He didn't do it alone. Talk to somebody about this. Maybe God's challenging you to be baptized. Maybe he's pushing you that direction. He's saying, listen, you need to go all in. You need to be committed to this and you believe in Jesus and you believe that he came for you, but you've never taken that step of commitment where you did it and you didn't know what you were doing and you were a child maybe and, you, and it just wasn't cognitive for you why you did it, okay? Maybe it's time to do that. Because it tells us in there that when we baptize, we're baptized into the grave with Jesus, that our old life dies in that water. And then when we're brought out, a new life begins. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to live that life that Jesus wanted for us. And so if that's you today, if you're thinking about doing that and you wanna do that, come see me afterwards. Come talk to me about how we can make that happen because we want to have you to have full life in Jesus. Because here's the bottom line. This is about life and death. When we live a life that is about these pleasures and these selfish desires that we have, we are living to die. That's the truth. We're not living with the end in mind. We are living with a very short view of the world. But when we die to this world and the ideals that it represents, we are dying so that we may live and live life to the fullest. Jesus is better. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we are just so grateful to be in your house today, Lord. We are so grateful of everything you've done for us. You've delivered us from so many trials and troubles in our lives. You have made a way when we did not think to see a way. And Lord, today I pray that if there's anyone here who is struggling with giving their life to you, living in a way where they deny what the world wants from them and live with the, the end in mind, Lord, that you would make it clear to them that you want them to have the full life that you offer. 
we are so grateful for what you did for us on the cross, that you made a way when there was no way. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.